Welcome to this week's episode of Cover Zero. I'm here, Jordan, kicking it with my guys, Josiah, Henry. Say what's up to everybody. What's up with it? Yo, yo. Coming at you guys with a preview of week nine in the NFL. This is, we are at the halfway point right now. This is about the halfway point in the NFL when you consider all the weeks that go into it. We are starting to really see things that are significant in this season and how they're going to unfold in the second stretch of it is halftime. What are you going to make adjustment wise and how are you going to finish? That's really what's most important in football. And we're about to see it unfold. And today we got a full show to go ahead and unfold all of that. At the end, we're going to have Chase come in with some fantasy advice for everyone to also take you to a Super Bowl, hopefully win you some money in the fantasy chase. But before we get there, before we get to the rest of the slate of the shows, we have one thing to look back on, and that's Monday night's game. The Giants losing by two to the Buccaneers, 25 to 23. It was the fourth week in a row and the sixth time this season that the Giants played in a one-score game. Their lone victory was a one-score game. Dallas was a one-score game. Philly was a one-score game last night as well. Henry, when you saw this game, do you think that first half when the Bucs weren't really able to do much, do you think that was more of Tampa's lack of ability to move the ball or the Giants were actually doing something good defensively? I think the Giants were actually doing something pretty solid. You know, I'm, I was on Twitter talking about it. I was like, the Giants are looking pretty solid. You know, the first half, even if I'm, I'm starting the offensive side of the ball, you know, that offensive line was actually – Getting a great push in that in that run game, they were they were moving the the Buccaneers defenders. Um, Josiah sent me a text. I've been on Andrew Thomas' head uh, this year because you know he ain't been playing up to par. But yesterday, he I don't know what what got into him, but he was doing this thing as as a you know number four overall pick. He was you know moving people off the ball, making some good run gaps for for the running back. So I was actually pretty impressed with what I saw from him. Hoping he can continue that on for the rest of the year. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they uh they were actually getting to Brady, you know, and it's crazy because they don't really have no crazy dominant front four to to you know to win the one-on-ones, but they were winning their one-on-ones yesterday, and at least in that first half, mm-hmm. um, to to get to Brady and to hit Brady. And the and the secondary was also playing pretty solid too. Logan Ryan was out there doing his thing. So I was very impressed with them, but it just seems like it's that same story with them. You know, they can't they start off, you know, pretty solid, but they just can never finish strong. And I think that's what seems to always be their Achilles heel, uh, pretty much the story of their season. You know, just like you said, they, they always be in the game, but they can never finish them strong. That's very true. Josiah, what do you think is the one, if you had to label it one thing or a few things with the Giants that's missing, where do you see that hole being currently with this squad? Well, <clears throat> They to me personally, and and they were able to keep up obviously on offense for the most part. But I still would like to see to add add some more uh, wide receivers, some more weapons on outfield. Uh, um, you know, going downfield. I mean, you know, some some wide receivers, and you know, I we don't know what's gonna go, what's gonna happen with Ingram. You know, I, I would like to see him. He's been okay, you know, but he still hasn't lived up to what we thought he would be coming out of college. So I would say some more weapons and then tighten up. Still need to tighten up on the defense, but they did play well. Like Henry said, they they played very, very well on defense. I thought the secondary had some some they sticky coverage, you know. Yeah, especially, they got a kind of lightweight underrated secondary back there. Yeah, yeah. They played really, really well, you know. And I, I will say I don't think Tampa really thought that they were, you know, I, I'm not going to say they were sleeping on that team, kind of looking to the next week. I don't really like, you know, talking about teams doing that because – 
you know, you know, coaches don't preach that, you know, but maybe there were some players that kind of felt that way. Maybe I don't know, but I don't think at the same time, I don't think they thought the Giants was going to play that, you know, play that good of a game, you know, but like you said, they've been close. A lot of these games has been really, really close and that's promising. I know it, it sucks to be a Giants fan. Shout out to my guy, Daniel Lopez and my, my boy, uh, Antoine Walker, man. They, they diehard Giant fans, man, but it's still promising because they're that they're almost there, you know, and, and if those, if those games, you know, if it would have turned in, in, into their favor, their record right now would be a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that offensive line, yeah, you know, I, I did. I, I texted Henry, man, told him about Andrew Thomas. Y'all know he was my best tackle coming out this college, man, so th- this year coming out of college. And he did real well, man. And, and that pass rush is one of the best pass rushes in the league. You know, they have the best linebacking duo in the league, in my opinion. And I felt like Jason Pierpong, he, he, he held him in check. He held him yeah. in check, man. And he made some really nice gaps, like Henry said, holes, for uh, the running back, and I, I thought I thought they did really, really well. They just couldn't they couldn't close out. Couldn't close out, and that's just been the story of that team, as I was mentioning at the beginning. The other takeaway that I have from this Giants team is turnovers. They have 15 this year, and they're tied with the Patriots for the third most in the league. And they have at least one in every single game. And apart from those two facets, it's something else I always notice, be it one game to the next or be it within the same game we get good Daniel or bad Daniel. And your reaction can be like when you see him, like he did at the end of the game, 13 play, 70-yard drive, converted on a fourth and 16 with a 20-yarder to Sterling Shepard, followed by later on the seam route to Golden Tate in the back of the end zone. You see those, and then it's like, damn, Daniel. But then you see him throw two picks in the second half, and it's like, damn, Daniel. (laughs) So that dude's just got to try to find that area where he's not killing himself. He's got to try to find that area where he doesn't hold the shovel and dig his team deeper so that then it's even harder to pull them out at the end. So, but we'll see how they go, how they do going forward that this it's still not over for them with the way this division is playing out because they're only a few couple games back. Right. So, I mean, if they can just fine tune these little areas in tight games and it's like, again, against a good team tonight or like, like they did on Monday, I should say, then maybe they might be in better favor within that division. So we'll have to we'll have to go ahead and check check that out as time goes on. But speaking of time going on, the one thing we do have to touch on since the start of the season, we all knew this was going to be one unlike any other, primarily due to COVID. The NHL and the NBA chose to go the bubble route, something that's probably not doable with the size of the NFL, the teams, right. the players, etc., and the coaches. So. They went the route of just simply we can socially distance, we can test, we can be careful, and we can either limit the amount of fans that we have in the stadiums or we can totally shut it down from the get-go. At this point, what I want to get from you guys, and we can have a roundtable about it, and I'll start with you, Henry. What grade do you give Roger Goodell and the NFL for how they have handled COVID? I give it a solid B, you know, with – all the, you know, it's not like how the NBA is. You got 15 players, you know, or whatever with, you know, not including coaches and training staff and all that other stuff. The M- NFL, you know, you got 53 players. Then you got the practice squad. Then you got coaches. You know, it's, it's a lot of people going around. And I know they do testing every single day. Um, so I give it a solid B. I, honestly, I thought it was honestly going to be much worse than this, to be honest with you, than, than from all the, you know, positive tests that that the NFL uh, has kept came about, but 
you know, it's it, it's just so hard, especially nowadays. Like just like you said, there's no way that, and I don't think the NFL could have did a a bubble with it's just just way too many players, yeah. coaches. It's it's just it's just there's no way it would have been happening. But from what it has gone through, I think I'll give it a solid B because, like I said, I, I thought it was honestly going to be much worse than this. But, yeah, I'll, I'll say a B. Josiah, are you at a B, above a B, or below? You know what? I I, I was at a C, to be honest with you. But just listening to Henry, you know, I, I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll, I'll give it a B minus. I think the reason why I go up is because – like Henry was saying, it, it is big. It, it, it's a lot for the NFL to kind of control all the players or coaches and things like that. And they've done a solid job in that perspective. And they've been trying to find teams. You know, they've been trying to, you know, find players, you know, because they're, they're letting everybody know this is serious. You know, we're letting you guys play and things like that. Or you guys want to play vice versa or whatever. But we're, we're taking this serious. So they are doing – they are handling business in that department. The, the issue that I have – is and I know sometimes it comes down to like the states and the cities as far as the fans, but I don't know if the NFL has any any type of real power over that. But if they do, to me, that doesn't make sense to have. I don't care if it is only five thousand fans, seven thousand, fifteen, twenty thousand. If it's that serious, why are you allowing the fans? Because there's times I'm watching the game and the fans are not wearing their mask. You know, they're yelling. You know, breath is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I just don't understand. We're taking it – you guys, are, on one hand, they're taking it serious because they're doing everything they can to, you know, uh, oh, this player did oh, find this team or, you know, whatever. But at the same time, they're allowing fans to come into the stadiums. And I, I just feel like that's the wrong move to do. And I'm obviously, I'm a diehard Raider fan. You know, we're all fans of different teams here, you know, so we would love to see our team. But, you know, our health and, and life come first, so – to me, that part doesn't make sense. You know, I don't know everything behind it, but if they have any type of power with that, I would shut. I would shut that down. You're taking it serious. Why are you allowing 20,000 fans to come into the stadium? It just doesn't make sense. And you know, we we wonder, oh, how did this player catch it, or how did this player, you know, how did this happen? They they tested before the game, you know. Mm-hmm. So you are letting you know thousands of fans in the stadium too, screaming without a mask. So you know. That, that part. So I, I'll say a B minus because it is hard to control as far as the players and coaches and everything. And then I also will give it a B minus because I didn't even think. Remember, we were talking. We had our uh, guests on that. I was unsure if we were going to have a season. So and here we are. Season's halfway through and nobody has really there was one player and I forgot his name that that caught the virus and it's severe and he's done for the season. I forgot what I don't know if it's a Jaguars play for the Jaguars. So, uh, but other than that, all these players have been pretty solid. There's been players that's caught it and been able to, you know, sit out a game or two and moved on. So, right, yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm with you guys on the B grade. That's exactly where I had it too as well. And for the points that you guys both brought up, for sure, I'm with you 100, percent Josiah. The one thing that is withholding the NFL from a rules and regulation standpoint to me as well is the fans in the stands because we've all been watching from home. And observing the games that way. And from my perspective, it is still very much enjoyable. It is still NFL on a Sunday. Yes, we know COVID exists. But when the game kicks off, you aren't thinking, man, I wish that, oh, I wish it was different. Like, you still are watching your team play. Everything on the field is still the same. The dudes are out there. The coaches are calling plays. And everything else is cool. And when you do see the look of the state, I'm so used now to to seeing empty stadiums. Dudes doing Lambo leaps in Green Bay to nobody. It's just yeah. the way it is this year. 
And I would take 100 times out of 100 this over no season. And so considering how it's worked out, I got to give them a B. That's the one thing they could really do without is the fans in the stands. There's really no need because they pump in crowd noise into the TV broadcast yeah, anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. so so that's so that for that much, just let the NFL fans take a year away from just being there. You could still watch your squad at home from the comfort of your house. And, you know, once this stuff all dies down, we go back to normal, as we all hope. What I do really also like, though, from a rules perspective and what I have noticed is that they aren't just putting rules in place when the season started back in September and saying, this is where we're going to put a period on it. Rather than that, they put an ellipsis there and said, no, we're going to continue to add and adjust to it based on what happens with what they've done with the high risk people, which is basically when you're in contact with someone who contracts COVID, because of course it's like, Oh, they got a positive test, even though they are tested every single day. Once that positive test is rendered, Players have tracking devices on them that have to be worn at all times. Then you can basically take that tracking device, hook it into a computer, and then it GPS pinpoints who has been around that player. This helps tracing. Tracing has been the biggest thing with regards to the spreading of COVID. So the NFL could simply just say, well, this guy got it and we didn't know where it came from. But no, they actually took the step to put that in place. Then after someone does get COVID, they isolate them. And then furthermore than that, after the player comes back, after 10 days, non-symptomatic for 72 hours, negative tests for three days leading up to it, then the player's been cleared. He then has to go through a cardiac screening program where it's like this regimented exercise program to make sure that his lungs and his respiratory rate has returned to the same level of conditioning it was before. All these different things that they're putting in place, they even have temperature monitors for players they get three times a day after they were within the vicinity of someone else who was labeled as positive they even have things that monitor their respiratory rate when they sleep in case it gets worse i mean all these other things all these other things that are being implemented to try to make it the best possible situation i gotta say is better than i expected from a league handle other scenarios and situations much worse so the b grade i'll give it to you but there's still just one little fix we could have and i think right now considering what we have seen from a certain MLB team that one of us may or may not be a fan of NFL looking a little bit better. I'll just say that much, (laughs) but yeah, we're going to keep going to keep pushing through the rest of the season. And hopefully we just, it doesn't come to the point to where it's in a specific playoff game to where it gets crazy. And so far so good. Well, you know, they did say they're open to pushing back the Super Bowl, So, yeah, they are. They're they're pretty prepared. So I mean, because if it happens during the playoffs and they know the Super Bowl is going to be pushed back, so they're pretty prepared for it. Just hopefully, you know, they'll be able to control it if that happens. Hopefully, it don't happen. But right. You know. But just in case, you know, yeah, better better be prepared in case it does. Yeah. So now I'm going to transition into our game previews throughout the course of this week. This is this is a nice slate that we got for Week Nine. There's a lot of games right here very pivotal ones some interesting stylistic matchups and then some defining in division matchups and the first one that we're going to get to is seattle at buffalo a battle of two teams that are actually eerily similar right now in this course of the season both of these teams are well coached by defensive minded guys they are first place in each of their respective divisions after finishing in second in 2019 But right now, their defenses are pretty lackluster, something that I didn't expect for sure. 
the offenses are really, specifically the passing offenses, are what are leading these teams to their success. And I'll start off with you, Henry. How do you see this game shaking out on Sunday between Seattle and Buffalo? You know, I think it's going to be a shootout. And if I'm going to say it's going to be a shootout, of course, I'm going to choose Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. Um, you just brought it up. Both of their defenses has not been good at all. I know the Seahawks, they did, they, they did just trade for Carlos Dunlap. I think he's, I think he's going to bring some help, but I honestly don't think he's going to make that big of a difference to transform in that defense into being something better than what we have been seeing. I think he'll you know give a couple of pressures, give him a couple of sacks, but that defense is just so damn atrocious. It's like, I mean, the only way they can't go is up. So, and then the same thing for Buffalo. Their defense hasn't been close to what we saw from last year. Tremaine Edmonds, we brought up a couple of shows ago, he just been getting ate up in the run game and in the passing game. Uh, we thought that that front four was going to be something really legit this year. They just been getting moved off the ball all year in the running game. So I honestly don't go. To, so since you know both defenses aren't good, I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, Josh Allen, he probably you know he hasn't been playing good his last two games as well. So you might see, uh, I don't know, they're coming off a bye week, so maybe you might see a little improvement on that offensive side of the ball, so maybe he can start getting back going again. Um, but if you're going to win a shootout, I'm going to go, cho- go choose Russell Wilson. DK Metcalf has been killing it this year. Uh, so I'm definitely going to go Seattle Seahawks. Uh, my score prediction, I'll give it a 34-27. Okay. Josiah, do you have the Bills win or do you got Seattle continuing to roll? I got Seattle. I got Seattle winning this one. I think it'll probably start off. It's going to ha- I don't, I, I want to say it's going to be a shootout, but I just haven't seen that from Josh. I just, I haven't seen it. You know, even the game that they won versus the Jets, which was, you know, uh, completion wise, he did pretty good, but he didn't have no touchdowns or anything like that. You know, and, and the Patriots, he didn't play that well. KC was the last time he had a couple touchdowns or a touchdown for that matter, and they lost that game. He hasn't really been playing that well, but they've been finding ways to still win the game. They, they ran the ball better uh, this past week, so that's good. That's a, that's a sign, you know. But Seattle, it, it you know they're they're up and down. I mean, they're allowing a lot of yards on the ground. They're we talked about this last week. They're they're solid in the the against the running backs, but as far as overall quarterbacks, you know any type of uh, um, wide receivers running the ball, anything like that, they're, they're, that's where they're, they're um, allowing the, the offenses to gain yards. And Josh Allen, we know he's really good with running the ball, so maybe he can get something going with that. So I, I kind of see them you know, hanging in there for a little bit, but I just I think at some point, man, Seattle, they're, because they score so quick. I just got done talking about this versus the 49ers last week when, when they played them. And they 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 score so quick, and I think eventually Josh is going to make a you know a crucial turnover, and it's it that's going to be it you know. And as far as the pass rush too, like Henry brought it with Carlos Dunlap, we're going to see what he do. I think it's going to help. You know, I don't like he said. I don't think it's going to change the whole defense or anything like that. But if but if he can get going, get rolling, you know, and he's motivated, then I, I think that it, it'll definitely help them out for sure. So, but yeah, I, I got I, I got Seattle uh, winning this. And one thing I would like to see too, they need to get creative because you know their defense is not that good. Their pass rushes, you know, it's okay. But I think they should get creative, kind of like how we did. The Raiders get creative with their blitzes. Sometimes if you cannot get to the QB, you know, it's good to get creative with you know the 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 DBs you got back there and whatnot. So it'll be good to see that. 
But yeah, I, I got yeah, I got Seattle. I got Seattle winning this one. Seattle actually is slated to most likely or potentially get Jamal Adams back as well this week. So if they're able to bring in Adams and Dunlap together, yeah. you might be able to see at least a couple of plays difference because Seattle's coming to the game right now with 73 total pressures on the year, 10 and a half per game, and only 12 sacks throughout yeah. the seven games they played. So maybe you get one more sack and a few more pressures, and if they can come at, at key times, that could be a noticeable difference because this defense needs all the help it can get. They've been getting just carved up through the air right now. Still still in, in record pace in terms of yards allowed through the air. But the one thing you brought it up, Henry, is how Josh Allen has basically fallen off. Just he Not fallen off, I would say, but the level of play that he showed throughout September, it's really declined when October hit. And over the last four games, he's 18 out of 46 for 293 yards and four picks on passes that went 10 yards down the field or more. Passer rating of 32.2 on those throws, giving him the worst mark in the league. The dude just, he's looking more like the player that we all expected him to be throughout the start of this season. And we'll have to see if they return to play action because that was a huge component of their success. Even when Josiah and my Raiders played them, that was a huge component to a lot of their success. And it rendered a lot of open options and Allen was capitalizing on it. And they've went away from that back when they were really going to the play action for a lot of success. So we'll see if they go back to that because Seattle's been very bad against the play action as well going into week eight. They were very bad against it at that point too. So, But like you said, there's just no way I see the Bills being able to put up enough points to hang with Russell Wilson. If it's going to come down to which defense I think makes a play or which quarterback and which offense is going to be able to make more plays to put it out of reach, give me Seattle. I like 34-27 does sound nice. 34-27 does. Yeah, 34-27. Yeah, 34-27. Let me get mine. I, I, I'll say, uh, let me see here. I'll say 30. Yeah, I'll, I'll say 30 to uh, 30 to 24. Yeah. 30 to 24. 30 to All 24. right. We'll move on to our second matchup of the week. There are many to get to, but this one I think is actually a good test for both of these teams. And that's going to be the Ravens and the Colts, a battle of both teams who are five and two and in second in their respective divisions. This game, when you look at it from a bird's eye view, no pun intended, Henry, how is your squad going to rebound from that loss last weekend? You know, first it starts off with all these little COVID tests. You know, Marlon, well, they already announced Marlon Humph is not playing, but they announced like seven players that were, you know, next to him or whatever that got a – they got to pass the COVID test for five straight days in order for the play, and that's like Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison, Matt Judon, uh, I think Marcus Peters is one of them. I, I saw the list. No, it's uh, Judon, Bowser, Tyus yeah, Bowser, Ty Patrick Bowser. Queen, LJ Fort, and Deshaun Elliott. Yeah, which is starters on our defense. So <laughs> yeah. if, if they don't pass these tests, man, then, then it could be uh, some trouble for us today. I think we'll probably have to – the only way I think we'll be able to win the game is if we just outscore them. I don't, I don't think we'll stop them with, with, if we have the many backups uh, coming on the field at that time. So – but yeah, man, this this is a big game for us. You know, we gotta try to stay with Pittsburgh. They got a two game, uh, you know, two games above us in the division. 
Um, LJ and Greg Roman got me hot that last game. LJ threw, LJ had two stupid interceptions. One of them was a pick six that led to a touchdown. The other one was a a dumb interception. Then he had to fumble in the red zone, literally at like the three yard line, which was stupid. That so all that all those interceptions uh, turnovers cost us points. He can't have that versus the versus the Colts. And this Colts defense is actually pretty pretty solid. So definitely got to fix up on those on those mistakes. But I think I think we can still come out with the victory. J.K. Dobbins ran over 100 yards over Pittsburgh Steelers. He he absolutely went off. Averaged like 7.5 yards per carry. He absolutely went off versus Steelers. So I think he can. Uh, I think remember Joe Cyber. We had to talk. I think what I say like week eight or week nine. I think he'll be the starter. Did I say? Yeah, it's around that time. So I think he really is about to go into this game being a starter. He's just. He's way too explosive. He's way too quick. His his lateral ability is just too great for him not to be the starter. He's better than Gus Edwards and better than Mark Ingram. I don't think Mark Ingram will be playing anyways, but it's better than both it's better than both of those those guys. So he definitely got to go into this game being a starter. Um, I think we can get some pressure up on, on Phillip Rivers uh, with Yannick and hopefully if Judon's able to play, uh, we can get him in the Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams and Derek Wolf. I think we can probably lead him to you know doing those stupid mistakes that we used to see when he was playing for the Chargers. So I'll uh, I I got us winning. I'll I'll give us a, a score prediction. I'll go. It's so hard to tell. I don't know what if our defensive players are gonna play. I'm just gonna assume that they're gonna they're gonna play. I'll say 24-14. Mm, 24-14. Okay. Josiah, where are you at? How do you see this one unfolding? Yeah, I got the Ravens winning this one, but, you know, Lamar definitely has to play a lot better. This is a good defense. We talked about if this defense was legit not too long ago, and we were kind of on the fence once the we seen them play the Browns, and the Browns was ever able to kind of get whatever they wanted. But they they picked it back up. They're one of the top defenses in the league. They're ranked third in total defense, only allowing 79 per nine per game and rushing and, you know, and they're, they're, they're doing, and they're only allowing 213 in passing as far as uh, per game from the QBs. So the, Lamar, this is the perfect test for him. You know, uh, he has to really, he has to take care of the ball. He has to not make any turnovers. I don't even say limit turnovers. Do not make any turnovers because a lot of those turnovers are really crucial, you know, and Greg Roman, he needs to stick to his plan. You know, they need to run the ball more. I think they did a really good job. With J.K., it was good to see him have a breakout game. So, you know, and and sometimes, you know, even with top defenses, sometimes even when they're good stopping the run, if you could stick to running the ball, you'll be able to get some good yardage regardless. You know, it may take a minute, but if you're a true team that like to run the ball, eventually that's just going to happen. You'll, you'll break for that big one. So I do, we just seen our team, we just seen the Raiders do it. You know, the Browns is a top five, you know, rushing defense, you know, and, and we were able to get Josh going. but we But he had 31 attempts. Right. So I, I don't know if Greg is willing to, to do that, but it would be good to see. I think that would really help out. That's that's interesting right there what Henry was saying too, um, with the the uh COVID. You know, players missing out on that, that's gonna be big. So hopefully those players are able to play, or most of them is able to play, because that that could be a big that could be that could be big, you know. So and and they need to keep up with the Steelers, you know, obviously the Browns. Their schedule gets easier. So I, I know most Raven fans, I know Henry, they're not worried about the Browns. But, you know, if they keep – if they, you know, bounce back after we after we beat them, then, you know, and, and the Ravens lose, then it can get kind of dark. So – but 
I think the Ravens are going to pull out with the win. I got them winning 28 to 17. Yeah, I like the Ravens in this one too, but from like watching the game perspective, these are really two defense two defenses that are both top 10 in all categories. Points per game allowed, rush yards per game allowed, pass yards per game allowed, and overall yards per allowed. They are both top 10 in all four. All four. It's rare you find matchups like this in the NFL when you have that type of powerhouses, especially in an offense offensive-driven league. But in particular, the one area where they are different, there's two from the defensive side of the ball. One is just in the number of blitzes. The Colts have only blitzed 88 times this year. And we've all talked about how often the Ravens blitz and how often the Steelers blitz and how they ping-pong back and forth in the lead. So 88 total blitzes on the year for the Colts, 292 total blitzes on the year for the Ravens. That has resulted in six, no, seven more sacks for the Ravens. And also the pressure count is almost 20 in terms of the differential. 85 pressures for the Ravens and 68 for the Colts. But the one big difference, though, with the Colts, when you see what's made this defense good is that they are not very mistake prone. And that's what's really helped them a lot. The biggest thing with the Colts that I've noticed in watching them is that this team does not miss a lot of tackles. As a collective unit, their missed tackle rate is only 6.3%. The Ravens are 12. And we're talking about that type of discrepancy on two very good defenses. The Colts are just sound, disciplined, kind of play their style. A lot of too high, a lot of zone, too high safeties. And that's what I think is going to open it up, like you said, Josiah, for the opportunity for the run game to really get back. Henry, you've talked about that a lot on how you and how Greg will deviate from the strength of what your squad is. And I think just basically if, they're gonna if the Colts are gonna trot out a four man front and two high safeties, run that rock on them. Run right. that rock on them. Right. And and they and you should be able to find headway there. I really think so. The only player that's really playing like solid on that Colts deep, there's two guys in there like front seven that are really playing solid. And that's Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner. The rest of the other guys you should be able to make headway on, even with even with losing Ronnie Stanley for the year. I really do like the move to kick DJ Fluker out to the right tackle. And at this point, as we sit here and we record this, Tyree Phillips is questionable with an ankle sprain. Nah, so we'll see. We put him on IR, too. Oh, he's on IR now? Oh, so he's not playing. Yeah, so we put in Patrick McCarry. The, the run game was way better with Patrick in there. So I'm actually not even mad at it. All right, then. Well, that's going to be a huge difference. But you brought up the COVID ones. And this Colts team, too, something else they have going for them. Their bill of health is really clean. They're going to get back Michael Pittman Jr. for this game. And so other than that, they really don't have any significant injuries to look at. Everything else apart from losing Malik Hooker initially and the way that Julian Blackman, the rookie out of Utah, has played, they aren't really missing the guy. So this team is very, very healthy coming into this game. But the biggest thing that I think is going to be the difference, and this will be – notice in the game, I think, is can these Indianapolis receivers get separation from the corners if you guys are trotting out Peters and Jimmy Smith? If Marlon Humphrey was out there too, it would be lights out, no fly zone, just based on the weapons that the Colts have. But if you go out there without him, I still think that Jimmy Smith and Marcus Peters are going to be able to contain the weapons that you're going to see from the Colts at least enough to get the win. I like it about, what's my score here? I'm going to say... Give me the Ravens for sure. I like it 24-17 Ravens. 24-17 Ravens. Going to be a real solid game, just the stylistic differences and how each team approaches it. But we'll move on to the third game of the week that we're going to look at. 
This is basically a battle for the NFC South. Five and two Saints head down to Tampa Bay to play the six and two Bucks. Saints won at home in week one, 34 to 23. And while the Bucks really shut down Alvin Kamara from a running yard standpoint, like so many other teams, they could not stop that man in the passing game. He had 152 total yards from scrimmage and two scores. Henry, do you think the Bucks make any sort of different adjustment to account for Kamara in this game? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I think I think they're really gonna have Devin White just be on him all game. Honestly, that's that's really what I think it is. He has a speed, he has a, a athleticism to stay with Alvin Kamara. I think they're just gonna be like, look, Devin White, look, you just focus on him. We can't have him beat us in that passing game just like he did last time. I think they're really gonna have Devin White just key in on Alvin Kamara. But speaking of just just the game, I think I'm gonna have I'm gonna have the Saints winning again. I love the addition of when they traded for Quan Alexander. I think that'll be a, a solid move and a solid addition to that defense. Um, I believe that you know from what we just saw from the Buccaneers this, this Monday night, you know they have some that, that offensive line isn't as stout as you know coming in. You know, and, and the Saints defensive line is way better. Then the Giants and the Giants was giving them misfits. I think the Saints defensive line is going to give them some more misfits. Uh, I, I think everybody loves the the matchup between Marshawn Lattimore and, and Mike Evans. You know, it's something always entertaining between those two. But mm-hmm. I think uh, the Saints will, you know, key in on Rojo in that run game. I think Drew Brees can make just enough plays to to get them over the hump and over the victory. Uh, quick question: is, is Mike Thomas? Y'all know if Mike Thomas is playing? I want that's, that's hit or miss again, as yeah. far as I know. It's it's kind of seeming like this is just going to be an ongoing list or a question every day that we all got to, you know, browse Twitter for to get the answer before kickoff because yeah. I can't really seem to get an official answer at any time. I'll, I'll just say it like this, man. If Mike Thomas plays, I'll, I'll, I'll give the sense of victory. If, if he doesn't, it's, it's real questionable because – like I said, I think they're going to make sure that Alvin Kamara doesn't beat them just like they did. So, of course, what's with Drew Brees, you know, he loves Mike Thomas. So, yeah, I don't know. It all depends on that Mike Thomas status because I, I think that's big for this game especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, in particular. And they, they said they're not going to trade Thomas. Yeah. So, well, I mean, Nora would – I mean, you try to make it work when you got a guy that talented. But Josiah – we heard Henry. Henry, you said you had the Saints winning again. Josiah, do you agree? No, I actually got the Buccaneers winning this one. I actually got the Buccaneers winning this one. I think this is really going to come down to like a – it's going to be a chess match, man. I think the last game that they played, it was good. I think they were kind of getting a feel for each other. The Tom Brady, the offense, playing actual – you know, playing somebody on week, in week one and and playing somebody as good as the Saints, you know, Bruce Arians – and Tom Brady in the offense, and and them just really being able to build that chemistry together. And I think now they're starting to heat up. You know, one thing that I that I brought up, I thought that this offense will will end up playing a lot better towards the end of the season. And you know, they, I mean, this is this is halfway through the season, and I think they've been playing pretty good, especially on the offense side of the ball, the last two or three games. So. I got to give credit when it's due. I, I I like what the Buccaneers are doing, man. And and Tom Brady, you know, one thing about Week One, Gronk, you know, they they weren't they weren't really, you know, they they couldn't get that chemistry going, you know, the first few weeks. And now they seem to have found that 
that chemistry with each other. So that's going to be a big part in this game. Uh, Alvin Kamara, he really didn't do too much last game. Last time they played. He, he had a lot through the air, though. He had 152 total yards. It's but three, it was, it was I know three, the run game. The run game was shut down. Yeah, you're right about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, run game. Run game was shut down. Um, and then, wait, how many yards he said he had in receiving? He had, he only had what 50, was it? He only had 51 yards. He had a TD. He did have a touchdown. Receiving, he had a touchdown. He didn't have no touchdown as far as running. A, oh, no, he did have a touchdown. He did have a running one, but it was like, and I mean. He had one, and he had one receiving. But he only had 51 yards receiving. And then he had 16 yards as, as far as in the run. I and think they would put him on that return, too, in the return game that game just to try to get the ball in his hands. But Yeah, they will. They're going to do everything they can, as they should. You know, as Alvin Kamara, you know, they definitely need to get him more involved. But Henry brought up a good point. Devin White is definitely – he has all the tools to be able to to keep up with Alvin, and I think that's exactly what they're, they're going to do. And and I, and I really think, too, that this blitz, you know, the, the blitz – and we've, all, we've always known Todd Bowles to be a heavy blitzer – one thing that I noticed when he was playing our Raiders is that he was blitzing, but he sent he sent some disguises too. He had some, you know, he was kind of trying to confuse Carr and whatnot. So Todd Bowles is kind of mixing it up a little bit, you know. So we'll see what happens in the Saints game. But yeah, I got I got the Buccaneers. I got the Buccaneers winning this one uh 31 to 28. Okay. I have this I got the Bucs too. I would take the Saints if it was in New Orleans because I just think they're a different team in that dome. They just really are a different team in that dome. And I touched on this on last Sunday. That game against the Bears was their first time outdoors. And they had a lead going into the fourth and then just let it evaporate. And I think this this Buccaneers team going to be in their environment and possibly playing with Antonio Brown this weekend. The fact that it's it's been however, what's it been now? About 10 days since they have signed the guy. And we haven't heard that he's made threats to cause mass arson or crazy headlines right now I think is a small tiny victory for signing the guy so we could see him suit up and if you get him out there we saw Evans make some plays Scotty Miller we'll have to wait and see by the time the weekends as to whether or not they get Chris Godwin back but I think this is a game where Tom Brady is not going to turn the ball over twice like he did in the first one I just think that like you had said the offense is clicking more we're seeing Gronk used more of the traditional role that we had always seen from the Gronk and the Gronk that we're used to. And this Bucks offensive line is playing, it's playing solid. It's playing real well. And Daquan Alexander add, I think is going to definitely be better than what they were trotting out there before. I just don't necessarily know if it's going to be enough in those intermediate levels to contain the likes of the slot receiver when they do go over the middle. So the Bucks in particular, that defense, they're, like you brought up, just like the way they were sending blitzes at Carr, they do love the blitz. That's Todd Bowles' M.O. And the thing about him is he doesn't send a ton of them on third down. Mostly he's like a second down, first down type of blitz dude to get to get the opponent into a negative script or a negative down or a favorable down in distance when it comes to third. And then he lets Devin White and Levante David just right. do what they do in coverage. Some of the best coverage linebackers, and most athletic linebackers we have in the league. And I think that's going to be just enough to be able to warrant or limit what Alvin Kamara can do. So with all that said, they'll be able to shut down whatever Taysom Hill tries to do. With all that said, give me the bucks. I like it at about 28, 24 bucks. That's how I'd have to call it this week. So we'll see, man. It's a good slate of games. It's a real, 
a it real is. good slate of games. Is there any others that you guys got your eye on as far as just ones to to note? We don't necessarily have to break down, but ones to look at. Miami, Miami and Arizona. Yeah, I want to see what Tua. I want to see what he can do in, in his second game. You know, I thought he he was okay in his first game. That that's tough going against the defensive line that he went against. But I want to see if he can. You know, if not just well, I'm I'm really want to watch it for Tua. But I want to even just the team in general. I want to see what Miami does versus Arizona. Arizona's been playing really well. <laughs> they're playing pretty well, you know, and they're, they're right in the, in the mix of things. And they just beat the top team of, of their division. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the other game that I got. That's going to be solid. We'll see what we can recap, which is, we know we're going to have a lot to unlock on Sunday. Go ahead right. and make sure that you guys are all here for that. But another thing that's going in on Sunday is everybody's going to be checking their fantasy teams as we near the end of the fantasy football season, which comes well before, well, a few weeks before, but nonetheless still before the end of the regular season. That's why we got Chase. Chase McCoy here to break it down for you. Chase, as we sit here right now, you've talked about it for a while. Playing the waiver wire is the biggest difference maker this season, especially with all the injuries. As you look at the waiver wire this week, what are the top players you were pressing that ad button for right now? So it's kind of crazy because I was actually looking through the numbers just in general on every position that's been injured. And the most staggering is going to be your running backs. There's 20 running backs in the league right now that are considered injured or out due to COVID, maybe coming back from injury like Christian McCaffrey that aren't on IR. These are just ones that you're you're hoping are going to come back. But right now, the I have to go with DJ Dallas. He looked good on the stat sheet. You know, he he scored. He it's not nothing great, but you know what? With everything going on, with twenty running backs that would be out, that'd be considered starters from Aaron Jones, Chris Carson, Kenyon Drake, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor dealing with an ankle injury. Uh, Miles Gaskin just got reported out for at least three weeks due to the MCL sprain. Jamal Williams. I mean, this is a this is a staggering list. So I'm looking at DJ Dallas, Damian Harris. He might be a good flex option the rest of the season. He's, I mean, over 100 yards this last game, good yards per carry. Again, those are those things that you hope for, but, I mean, you're hoping they're going to score and hoping they're going to be better. But those are the top two players I'm probably looking at. Uh, I would also be looking at uh, QBs this this week because Drew Locke, 16% rostered. He uh, is facing Atlanta. They're giving up the most to quarterbacks uh, fantasy-wise. Then wide receivers, you got to look at Marvin Jones Jr. He's available in 48% of leagues. Alan Lazard's a sneaky one to add uh, just off the top of my head just because he might be coming back. And if he does come back, he could just be a home run hit that Aaron Rodgers is missing. And then you got to look at uh, Darnell Mooney and Jacoby Myers, I think, are sneaky ads. Nice, nice. I like those. If you were looking at the receiver list right now, there are some people I'm sure who added Nelson Aguilar last week after the recent success that he has had, and then he goes over against the Browns. What do you do with an ad like that? Do you hang on to him to see what he can do once the division matchups unfold for Las Vegas, or do you drop him for someone such as Alan Lazard like you had mentioned? If – if I had to choose, I would drop him for Alan Lazard, but I would still like to hold on to him. Uh, 
but that's just if I don't have anybody else better to drop. I'd prefer to have Alan Lazard over uh, Nelson Aguilar. I will say I dropped the ball last week, and I didn't pay attention to the weather. There was four games last week that had an average wind speed of over 20 miles per hour, and if I would have paid attention to that, the research actually shows that in games like that, there's a 15% decrease in fantasy scoring for passing, and there's a 10% increase on running backs. But it also allows people to stack the boxes. And if you look at that, I believe neither team threw the ball more than 23 times, maybe 24. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, the same thing happened in Green Bay. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think, was right around like 20. And then I believe Kirk Cousins was at 14 times. I mean, it it was super low. And then you had a New England-Buffalo game. That one one was rough as well. There wasn't a lot of passing. And, I mean, when you have that much wind, that was – I take full full responsibility on not paying attention to that and telling people to start Nelson Aguilar. But sometimes you uh sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Right. And the, just I mean, if you after you clear all the injury protocols, after you get past all the COVID protocols, you look at the injury report, you look at the matchup, you look at how players do in certain times of the year and what's happening in trends, and then you got to think, oh yeah, I didn't check with the weatherman. That right. Stuff it's, and, and it's crazy because there hasn't been a. Uh, a weather day like that since 19, I want to say 1991 was the last time there was a day where there was four games that had an average wind speed of over 20 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So like that, that was crazy for one single week to have four games like that and not have snow involved. Right. I remember so, there was like, they, they showed like a look in during halftime of the morning window. And there was a, there was a shot of like a tackling pad. Those about how tall are they about five foot tackling pad. And one of them was blowing, like tumbling down the field. Like it was a tumbleweed out West. Just that just shows you right there. The ferociousness of the, of the wind and what we were seeing. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. It totally rears its head and, and there's going to be some more bye weeks this week. Are you, we've talked about this before. You're a fantasy defense streamer this yes. week. What yes. are you eyeing in terms of options to stream for defenses? I'm looking at Arizona. They're 29% rostered, so you have a option in most leagues, 71% chance of them being there My, against Miami. Miami's coming off of a decent game against the Rams. It was a very defensive game for them. But offensively, I mean, Tua wasn't quite there. His passes didn't look very good. I mean, it, he just wasn't clicking. And I think having to travel all the way across country now to go against Arizona – I don't, I don't think it bodes well for him, so I'm looking at Arizona. I think that's a sneaky play. Washington versus uh, New York. Washington's at home. They're 37% rostered, so 63% of leagues they should be available. And then Green Bay at San Francisco. San Francisco is just too injured. You have to capitalize on it. I mean, no Jimmy G. I will say Nick Mullins does look better than Jimmy G, but they just lost Kittle possibly for the rest of the fantasy season. I mean, eight weeks, that's that's – a long time and i mean we're at i mean he could come back sooner but it's just fantasy wise and redrafts you're not going to drop him just in case he comes back sooner but i mean it's so devastating this year it really is and it's changing the scope of everything but why the waiver wire ends up being so important on monday we saw golden tate have a late touchdown and it was in a heroic fashion are you moving to add Golden Tate if he's available in any league? Uh, it's kind of rough because even through uh, the season, through eight weeks right now, Golden Tate has played uh, 
He has played more games than uh, Sterling Shepard, but Sterling Shepard's only one target behind him, and Sterling Shepard has missed three games. Uh, Golden Tate's wife did kind of make a, a stink on Twitter about her husband needs to be targeted. And I will say Golden Tate looked good in that, you know, that potentially game-tying touchdown if they would have got the two-point conversion. But I just – there's a lot of other wide receivers I would rather have on the waiver wire than him. Uh, I would prefer – Sterling Shepard over Golden Tate. I'd prefer Marvin Jones, Alan Lazard, Miko Hardman, Kendrick Bourne, Darnell Mooney. And I know Kendrick Bourne doesn't sound great, but with Kittle going out, I imagine he's going to get an uptick in targets. I mean, I would rather have all of them than Golden Tate. I believe Golden Tate's, what, 33 years old, 32. Yeah. He, I mean, he's up there in age. And, yes, he's going to have a couple good games, but it's not somebody that I would – feel like rostering that I think would have the upside on a week to week basis to be in a flex play at best. And I would rather take my chances on somebody even like a Jalen Ragor that, you know, I feel like would have the bigger boom bust weeks than Sterling Sh- or than a uh, golden Tate. No, I definitely hear that. Definitely hear that for sure. Last week when we were on, we had talked about if with Mark Ingram going down, what to do with the Ravens running back. We saw how J.K. Dobbins looked and kind of how they used him in more of a speed option role. If you have J.K. Dobbins as one of your running backs, kind of where are you slotting him if you were to look to start for him? Because as you mentioned earlier, running back is a very, very scarce position and a very important one. If you have a good one, it can really change the capabilities and the ceiling of your team. They're going against the Colts defense that, as we had mentioned on our preview, is very, very solid against the run, just like they were playing an opponent last week who is very solid against the run. Are you starting J.K. Dobbins this week? I'm starting J.K. Dobbins. and It's just one of those things because there's not a whole lot of options outside of that. But I will say, I think rest of the season, as long as Mark Ingram is out, J.K. Dobbins is an RB2. Both him and uh, uh, Gus Edwards had about the same touch count. However, J.K. Dobbins outsnapped him 65% to 33%. So, I mean, that kind of... That's a little telling. So they wanted him on the field way more than Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards did happen to get the goal line work, but I'm, I'm going to go J.K. Dobbins, and I think he could be RB2 rest of the season. I do think this is a tough matchup, but I think if they do win, it's going to be because of somebody like J.K. who might be able to get those speed plays like you were just mentioning. Nice, nice. So as you said, you're starting J.K., so we can move that into your starts of the week. And if so, yes. you have one for each of your position groups. And we'll start at the top of what that roster looks like on the app. Who's your start of the week and your sit of the week for the QB spot? So for my start of the week, I'm actually going Drew Locke against Atlanta, as I kind of mentioned. He's available in a lot. He looked great on that last drive against the Chargers. The Chargers kind of dropped the ball, but man, he 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 really stepped into it and, you know, just, all right, let's do this. I'm tired of everybody doubting him. Had his best fantasy game of his career, and mm-hmm. I think going to – to Atlanta against a team that clearly doesn't look like they're trying to win. I think he's, and it's going to be a shootout. I think he's going to be good. I think he can sit there, be a plug and play. I would start him easily over, you know, I mean, obviously Wentz, Goff, and Burrow and Baker are all on buys, but I would probably drop all but Burrow for Drew Locke. I'll drop Wentz, Goff, and Mayfield for Locke. Uh, If that kind of tells you where I'm looking at with that. And this is going to be a telling one, and I know we have some uh, some uh, Ravens fans on here, but I'll start Drew Locke over Lamar this week. Ooh, bold. Super bold. Jeez. 
Well, wow. let, let me. Uh, Lamar is actually my sit of the week at Q- quarterback. He's actually QB fourteen on the season, which is not QB one like he was last year. Not even top five. So I mean QB fourteen, but he only has three games on the season fantasy wise over seventeen points. And Indy is the best defense versus quarterbacks. And yeah. so I mean they're all, they're allowing fifteen points a week to quarterbacks. Nice. Yeah, so that, so, that makes sense because of the defenses. It makes sense. And I, I really do, and I, I, I agree with that. And I think having DeForest Buckner and I think having uh, Darius Leonard takes away a lot of their options, including Mark Andrews, who I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead. Andrews is on my set of the week again for against Indy. And it's not okay. that I'm hating on Andrews. I love Andrews. He's a great talent. But he just has not been good on a per-game average this year. Out of seven games, four of them are six points or less in PPR. And Indy is the second best, or is the second best team versus uh, tight ends, and they are one of two teams that have not given up a t- uh, touchdown to tight ends. Interesting. Okay, so if you're benching Mark, who's your start of the week then in that tight end spot? Uh, I'm kind of going back to Denver. I'm going again uh, for Noah Fant. I think he's somebody that's ranked out of most uh, experts top ten this week, but he's at Atlanta. Atlanta's one of the worst against uh, tight ends, but Noah Fant, you could probably pick him up, and I think he's available in 40% of the leagues. I mean, he's still pretty high-owned. But in the last two weeks, he has 16 targets, and he leads the team in targets, and I think that's who Locke is really starting to rely on, on his most reliable catch target, which young quarterbacks usually like those tight ends that they can rely on. That You know, it's going to be a, you know, a PPR start for me on him. It's going to be one of those guys that, He's going to get the first downs and he can get some yards and you're hoping he gets a touchdown. But if he gets, I mean, I think he had nine targets last week and seven targets the week before. If he, if, if he gets just six of those targets, I, there's a guaranteed six points for me plus yardage, hoping he's going to get double digits. And as we've seen this past couple of weeks, tight ends are going down left and right. I mean, we're already out Kittle Ertz, possibly Hooper uh, could be coming back. You don't think Jordan Reed should be healthy. I mean, Jordan Atkins, Dawson Knox, Tyler Eifert. That's seven different tight ends that you just don't have. I mean, and then you got, uh, not to mention Hooper's on by this week. Goddard's on by. Harrison Bryant's on by. Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, Drew Sample. I mean, how, yeah. how many tight ends are left outside of Waller and uh, Kelsey? So I think I would go Fant over Andrews if I'm looking for it. But tight ends so scarce after all these injuries that if you don't have Kelsey – Everybody is pretty much playing the same game right now and just hoping they can stream a tight end and plug in somebody. Okay. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know that this, the chase is bringing you the utmost opportunity to make your team better because he came on a pro Ravens and pro Raider podcast and just said, sit the Ravens and go ahead and start all these Broncos. So that just shows you he's here for your fantasy teams and not here for our squads. I just want to make note of that. I just for want to sure. make note of that. <laughs> I'm also an Eagles fan, and I'm telling you to drop Carson Wentz. I I think there's only been one game this or one uh, uh, week this year that I've said start Carson Wentz, and that was against Dallas this last week, and look how that turned out. Like, right? <laughs> you just can't trust some of these players. And if you're playing fantasy, you can't play your favorites. It's one of those things you got to be unbiased. You can't make it personal. You can't worry about if somebody's like, oh, for a long time, one of my best friends hated on Keenan Allen because he's like, he's always injured. He's always injured. Well, you know what? Some of those injuries, like, you know, I believe it was a punctured lung he had. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a, that's a freak injury. Okay. You can't rely on that calling him injury prone. That's something that doesn't just happen every day or every year. 
And did you know he have what? like a spleen injury at one point? Oh, that's too? What, I, I think it was a, a lacerated spleen. Lacerated spleen. Yeah. Like who? Like what? So <laughs> How it, does that even happen? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's one of those things you can't make it personal because next the next year after that, I believe he came out and it was like a top eight wide receiver in PPR. You you can't make it personal. You can't. I mean, there's players that I usually try and stay away from, like Antonio Brown, who we were just talking about, because I mean he's burnt me. You know, I I drafted him one year and he played one game. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's true. So as you mentioned, Antonio, he's a dude you're staying away from. So in that same spirit of the wide receiver position, who's another wide receiver that's or the wide receivers this week that are on your sits? So a wide receiver on my sit was actually Sterling Shepard at Washington. Even though I mentioned him above Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard has actually been great in every game he's played. He's averaging double digit points every week. However, The issue comes down to Washington's pass rush. I don't think Daniel Jones is going to have enough time in the pocket to make anybody fantasy relevant this week. So then would you look to add Sterling this week if he's available, but then not play him most likely? Yes, I would. Because he actually has a decent schedule after that. It's nothing great, but it's one of those things with buys coming up for some other wide receivers, I would probably go ahead and stash him. I mean, you're also possibly missing out on Calvin Ridley, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin is 50-50 to play this week. I don't know what's going on with Michael Thomas. And then, I mean, on top of that, Debo Samuel, uh, T.Y. Hilton, Sammy Watkins, all these players are injured. Tim Patrick. I mean, there's 15 wide receivers that aren't on season-ending IR, IR right now that are possibly not playing this week or, or are on by. Yeah, and th- and that's fifteen fantasy relevant wide receivers. Okay, okay, fifteen, fifteen. Dang, yeah. So yeah. then, starter sit: Amari Cooper, Sterling Shepard. Oh man, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go Amari Cooper just because of the upside. I, I just think Shepard's floor is floor and ceiling is between ten and fifteen points, and I think this week it's gonna be sub ten. I think Amari Cooper on any given week could have that boom week. I mean, Amari Cooper on his career is 50% boom, 50% bust if you actually do the math. Or I actually, it's 25% boom, 25%. He's like a wide receiver too, and then 50% bust. But I'd rather take the chance of that 25% week winning uh, boom. I got you. So then another starter sit, kind of the similar vein. In terms of what you were talking about earlier, running backs are a scarce spot. We all know that. Anyone who plays fantasy is experiencing that. So a couple of pass-catching backs that aren't quite getting a ton of points, but you may have to decide between this week. Starter sit, J.D. McKissick or James White? Ooh, I'm going to go James White just because Gibson is actually on my start of the week for running backs, and I think it's because McKissick's been getting phased out. They're coming out of the bye week. Gibson usage has been going up week after week after week and the week before the bye they just phased McKissick all the way out and Gibson looked phenomenal so I think James White would be the start over over McKissick okay so then that was your start of the week for the running back position who's your sit of the week at the RB I actually have two and it's kind of rough because Gurley uh again with it being so shallow at running back right now I'm sitting Gurley and Aaron Jones Aaron Jones is questionable to play. It's a short week, Thursday night football. Uh, he hasn't played in a couple weeks now. Uh, and the thing is, is if he does play, he could be on a snap count. He could be limited to prevent further injury. San Francisco is one of the stingiest teams to running backs. I'm I'm just going to sit him and try and take my upside with somebody like Gibson over Aaron Jones this week. 
Uh, I'm also going to sit Gurley versus Denver because Denver uh, has only given up three touchdowns to RBs on the season, and the only games Gurley has been relevant in is scoring touchdowns, and I don't think he does that this week. Do you make any moves if Tyler Irvin is available on certain people's waiver wire? I I would rather have DJ Dallas or, I mean, DJ Dallas, Damian Harris. I would even take Jordan Wilkins, as gross as it sounds, or even Gus Edwards, you know, over Tyler Irvin. Uh, it's one of those things. I think if uh, Aaron Jones is out, it's going to be some form of committee in Green Bay and I mean, I think they still have what is it, Dexter Williams as well? Dexter Williams, yeah, I think that's who it is. Yep. Yeah, and so, I mean the Colts—you never know if they're gonna—they just out of nowhere last week gave the rock to Jordan Wilkins and just rode him. He earned what was it, twenty fantasy points for whoever had him in their lineup, which was probably no one. But but yeah, that was really came out of I, nowhere. Yeah, I actually started DJ Dallas in one league and won because of it because I was so so beat up. Uh, I will say Cam Akers is on bye this week, but I would go on ahead and pick him up. Uh, he's available in 54% of leagues. Try and beat the waiver wire uh, for next week just because if people were sleeping in your league, you know what? You got to play chess. You got to be ahead of them. He looked good. Uh, Henderson just can't beat this hamstring. If he does, or thigh hamstring that he's been dealing with, if he does beat it and come back, it's okay. You wasted a roster spot for one week. But I would still hold on to Cam Akers through now to at least the week after the bye for them. Okay. All right. Any other nuggets that you would like to share to the listeners as to a way to make their teams better? Marvin Jones is one of my start of the weeks for a wide receiver. Uh, Jones has only performed better against one other team aside from Minnesota in his career, and that's Green Bay. He averages 7.5 receptions, 61.5 yards, and 0.75 TDs per game which is just around, I mean, 19 to 20 fantasy points per game against Minnesota. He usually does better at home than on the road versus Minnesota, but it's one of those things without Kenny Galladay. I think this just put, has all signs pointing up for Marvin Jones this week, uh, especially, I mean, against Minnesota, who's the second worst to wide receivers. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. That is how to go ahead and improve your fantasy teams this week with the Fantasy Chase. Thank you very much, bro. Appreciate it. That was great stuff. Thank it's been you, another episode of Cover Zero. We will be back to conclude the start of the second half of the football season. We had said this earlier on in the year. The season is four quarters long. We have now gone back into the locker room to assess what happened in the first half. And the next time we see y'all, we're going to go ahead and project what's up for the next of it. Take care. That's our show. Be sure to email us with your questions, comments, and statements, coverzeropodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to like us by supporting our Facebook page. You can find us at Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide. And if you want more exclusive content, feel free by clicking join when you want into the SSAW family by typing in Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide group. See you next week.